like hearing Christmas music, you? It's a wonderful time of the year as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's just a special time, spending time with family and friends and uh, singing those songs that we don't get to sing but once a year. I enjoy those. So uh, thank you, Jeff and choir. Well, take your Bibles this morning. Go to the Gospel of John. As we think about Christmas, I want our thoughts this morning to center around who is Jesus? Now you're saying, really, you're asking that in a Baptist church. We know who Jesus is. I know you know who Jesus is, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, but the world really doesn't know who Jesus is. Uh, they're in darkness. So the question would be, this baby, this man, this life that we celebrate 2,000-plus uh, years ago, who, who was this baby who was born that so much of the world has been changed around? Who was this young child, if you remember the gospel stories? He goes into the temple at around 12 years old and, and amazes the religious leaders of his day and his wisdom as a, as a child. Who was this man who healed the blind and healed lepers and made the lame to walk and cast out demons and raised the dead? Who was this man who came and changed world history as we know it, and impacted the world in a way that no one else has ever impacted in history. Who was this man that they falsely accused and hung on a cross and executed him, who was innocent and three days later arose from the dead? Who was this man who was different from everybody else? Well, the world would tell you, if you asked the world that question, who is Jesus, if you were to go around on the street and just ask for people's opinions, many might say to you, well, a religious leader, someone who founded Christianity, they might say to you, well, he was a good man, he was a teacher, he was among a long line of those who came along with good moral teachings for how to live life. All of those views, of course, would be false. C.S. Lewis, if you're familiar with his Christian writings, probably responded to the worldly view of Jesus as well as anyone has. Let me read you a uh, a quote of his. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. The world will often say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him uh, and his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great teacher at all. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to, end quote. We can't come to Jesus with a uh, milk toast attitude. He is either who he said he is or he's not. He's either God or he's not. In our time together this morning, I want to show you as we think about this babe born in the manger, the Bible tells us a lot of things about Jesus, but three distinct things about Jesus that are overarching, that solidify who he is. And I want to share those three things with you this morning. Number one, Jesus is God. He's God. He is the eternal God. He has existed forever. He is God. Secondly, because he's God, he's the creator and sustainer of all things. Everything that exists is here because Jesus put it here. 
that babe in the manger was the creator of the very people who laid him in the manger. The babe in the manger was the creator of the very materials in the earth and the animals and the, and the feed uh, trough that he lay in. He created the things that made that. So he's not only God, he's the creator. And finally, he's the savior. He's the light of the world. He's the true light of the world. That's what we need to know about the babe in the manger. He's God. He's the creator. He's the light of the world. Let's think about those. Look at John chapter 1 in the first two verses. You want to know who Jesus is? It's very well laid out by the Apostle John here. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John says here, in the beginning, where did God come from might be the question. Some people would say, well, where did God come from? If Jesus is God, where did he come from? One old-time preacher said, well, he came out of nowhere and stepped into somewhere. Came out of nothing and stepped into something because he's the one who made the something. Those are apt descriptions. I like that. I mean, you're not going to find that in exact scripture, but the principle's true. God steps out of eternity. You go back in, in history and in time as far as you want to go, and you put your marker down. You put a, a pen down, and you say, this is some distance back in eternity, and God will step out of eternity and meet you there. Jesus will step out of eternity and meet you there. He's eternally God. He, he began everything. And in fact, the phrase that John uses here, in the beginning was the word. What beginning? Well, our beginning, the beginning that we understand, not God's beginning. When God says in the beginning, as he did in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's what he's speaking of. In the beginning when there was nothing but God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning when there was nothing but God in perfect unity with himself and perfect happiness with himself, perfect contentness with himself, imperfection as God, then he created time and space. Then he created things. He created stuff. And how did he do it? He said, let there be word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. In the beginning means when eternity, when God created and eternity met stuff that we know, met life that we know, met history that we know. That's the beginning for us. Now understand when God says here, when the Bible says here, in the beginning, it doesn't mean God had a beginning. It doesn't mean Jesus had a beginning because he's eternal. Jesus has never had a beginning, and he'll never have an end. He is forever. He's the only forever thing there is. In fact, uh, agnostics and atheists will say, well, you know, matter and material is, is eternal. No, it's not. The eternal one spoke it into existence. It's not eternal. Okay? So in the beginning, God stepped out of nothing, out of eternity, and made something now, John refers to Jesus here as the Word, capital W. Jesus is often referred to in the Bible as the Word of God, the living Word of God. Why is that? Well, the word logos simply means to speak. It means words. It means to communicate. Jesus Christ, listen to it very carefully, the babe in the manger, the, the babe that we celebrate his birth, who left heaven and became a human being, laid aside his glory, took on a human body, he is the full revelation of God to man. Think about that for a moment. He is the ultimate word, capital W. Everything that the eternal God wants you and me as his created creatures to know about him in this life, 
he revealed to us in his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 9, he said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, that's good. Because they were saying to him, hey, God, hey, Jesus, if you show us the Father, we'll be happy. It'll suffice us. And Jesus, kind of in a, in a little bit of a scold, said, what? Have I been here with you so long and you've not looked at me yet? Have I been here so long you've not seen me? You've not heard me? You've not talked to me? You don't know who I am and how I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the, is the communication of God to the world. He is God, and he's the full manifestation of God to us. Think about God. All that's, all that's unknowable or, or, or that we can't understand about him. But when we look at Jesus, we see it manifested in a form that we can comprehend. And what is communication anyway? Words are, are expressions of ideas in a way that can be, that can be given and received. And think about this. Communication is only good if both of those things are happening, if, if I am sending and you are receiving, or if you're sending and I'm receiving. If I speak to you or you speak to me, it really is of nothing unless I understand what you're saying. Now, the older I get, the harder it is for me to hear, so you might have to speak louder. But the fact is, if we're communicating and you speak and I hear, then ideas and expressions have been expressed to one another. That's exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ. God in heaven said, man, you guys are hopelessly lost and in darkness and you can't possibly understand, so I'm going to send my son. And he's going to be the, the full expression of who I am so that you can understand who I am and you can understand what I want to do for you. Jesus is the word. Now notice this. This is so full. These two verses are just packed with, with wonderful things to see here. In the beginning was the word. And then John said, and the word was with God. And you say, well, wait a minute, you just said that Jesus is God. That's right. Then how is it that the word, Jesus, was with God? Well, there's the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you a little, a little thing that's a little gooder, a little better, okay? In the phrase there, in the word was with God, in the Greek can literally mean and was face-to-face -face with God. And what that means is communion. It means fellowship. Now, get this. Before time began, in the beginning, before there was time and space, before God spoke the first creative act, before Jesus, the instrument of, of creation, the, the one who created, before he created anything, him and the Father were in communion. They were in fellowship. They liked one another. They enjoyed one another's company forever, forever in eternity. It's been the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God expressed in three persons forever and eternity, one God in perfect fellowship with himself and the Father and the Son. Hey, do you know the only time ever in eternity that that fellowship was ever broken? Ever? When Jesus hung on the cross and the Father looked away from him. Why? Because of your sin and mine. That's astounding, isn't it? That that fellowship that was there in the beginning, that fellowship that, that had been there in perfection for all eternity was disruptive, disrupted because of you and me. Does that not tell you how much God loves you? Does that not tell you how much Jesus loves you that he would be willing to lose that fellowship with the Father for that time that he bore our sin on the cross, that he was willing to do that so that we might be saved? He's a great God, isn't he? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Here's that relationship. 
Two things to remember about this. Listen. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that distinct person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, he's been there forever. When Jesus came in a human form and he lay in that manger and he was born of the Virgin Mary, that was not his beginning. That was his, his birth as he left heaven and took on a human body. He took on a form so that he could represent us and be like us in flesh, yet without sin. He came in that human body so that he could die on a cross and be that substitute for us. You see, Jesus had to be like us to be able to die for us. And Jesus, listen, when he walked this earth, life wasn't easy for him. He was rejected of, of his own people and rejected of family and friends and persecuted and chased and hated. And, and, and listen, life was hard for him. He had nowhere to lay his head. And yet he went through an entire life suffering every temptation and every trial you and I suffer yet without sin so he could die in our place. Second person of the Trinity. And then secondly, notice that communion. God has invited us into that communion, the communion of the Father and the Son. See, listen, if you read the Gospel of John, uh, particularly around chapter 14 and 15 and 16, you know what Jesus said? He said that when we're saved, we are a gift from the Father to the Son. And that the, and that the Son saves us and presents us back to the Father. And I heard a guy say one time, or I read it somewhere, he said, he said, when you get saved, you're in a love sandwich. In other words, the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father, and you're right in the middle of that. Because God saved you, and he brought you into that family, and he brought you into that relationship. And so forever... Forever, listen, we're going to get to enjoy the sweetness of this communion of the Father and the Son as we fellowship with them in heaven. That's a deep thing, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then in case there's any ambiguity, in case anybody would say, well, yeah, but is Jesus really God? Then John said, and the Word was what? God, okay? He's been God forever. And what does it mean that Jesus is God? Let me just give you some thoughts about that very quickly. What are, the, what are some of the attributes that the Bible describes of God? And Jesus being God means true of him. It means that Jesus is forever. We've already said that. It means he is eternal. It means he had no beginning and he had no end. Listen, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11 say that Jesus laid aside all of his rights and all of his privileges as God. He laid those aside, laid aside his glory, laid aside the worship of the angels and the cherubims and the seraphims, and he willingly, willingly came and was born of the Virgin Mary and took on a human body and veiled his glory in flesh. Why? So that he might die for you and I. He willingly did that, but that was not his beginning. Because Jesus is God, it means he's omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful. It means there's nothing he can't do. Now remember this. God always uses his omnipotence in agreement with his perfect character, meaning God always does what's right. He always does what's righteous. He always does what's holy. But God is omnipotent. He can do anything. Man, isn't it an encouragement for you and me as his children to know that there's nothing that our Heavenly Father can't do? There's no problem he can't fix. There's no disease he can't cure. There's no sin problem he can't take care of. He's omnipotent. He can do all things. He can do anything. That's our Heavenly Father. See, sometimes we worry about stuff in life, don't we? Let's just be honest. Man, we do. 
Man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a planner. I look ahead. I think about what we're doing. And you can ask Sherry, if things don't go according to my plan, it bothers me. Does it bother you? I mean, it bothers you if you don't go the way you plan, right? Listen, my plan is not always the right plan, but God's plan is. And he's omnipotent. He makes his plan work. So here's the way to be happy all the time. Get on God's plan, and it'll always be successful. How about that? Because he does right all the time. So Jesus is forever. He's omnipotent. Hey, Jesus is omniscient. We're throwing out some of these, these doctrinal theological words. Omniscient. You know what that means? He knows everything. He sees everything. He knows everything like right now. In other words, if you take everything that the Bible says from history to prophecy, God sees it all as right now. He sees it as happening, as already happened. He sees it right now. In fact, he's already determined that it's going to happen in his, in his omnipotence. So his omniscience is in line with his omnipotence, meaning he's determined it's going to happen. He knows it's going to happen. He knows everything. See, sometimes when we, when, we, when we get into stuff we're not supposed to be into, we try to hide it, don't we? Listen, here's a clue for you. If there's something you're doing and you feel like you ought to hide it, you ought not be doing it. Because hiding it just means you feel bad about it, right? If there's something you're doing and you don't want nobody to see it and you don't want nobody to know about it, then you probably ought not be doing it. If you're saying something you don't want anybody to hear, then you ought not be saying it, right? I mean, it really gets pretty simple if you think about it. Jesus knows about it. Here's the deal. You're not hiding it from him. Even the deepest thoughts of our hearts and the intent of our heart, he knows about it. Well, that humbles you, don't it? Because I know some of my thoughts are not very good sometimes. Yours are probably okay. Mine are not all the time. Especially if somebody takes my parking place at Walmart. It's not good. Listen, Jesus sees all that. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. Hey, Jesus as God, listen to me, is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. He's Lord. You just want to get right down to it? He owns everything. It's his. You know what? You belong to him. You belong to him. If you're a redeemed child of God, you really belong to him because he bought you. He shed his blood. He paid the price for your sin. He purchased you and me out of sin and out of judgment and gave us eternal life. He redeemed you. Listen, Jesus owns the lost world. They don't know it, but he owns them. He owns this planet. He owns the nations. He owns the thrones that the kings of the world sit on. He owns the food. He owns the air. He owns the water, the atmosphere. It's all his. He's just letting us use it. He just blessed us to have it. The food we eat is his. The refrigerator in my house is his. That way if it breaks, I say, Lord, your refrigerator's broke. Listen, the stuff is his. The money in the bank is his. The cars are his. The houses are his. The clothes are his. The health is his. Why? Because he's sovereign. What does it mean to be sovereign? You own it all. It's yours. You're sovereign. It's all yours. Jesus is God. It's all his. Listen, just understanding those things about Jesus. He's eternal because he's God. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's sovereign. Is it not more amazing that he would leave heaven to die on a cross for you and me? It's, it's, it, almost, it almost is beyond human concept that somebody would do that for us. Hey, let me just give you a few others real quick. As that kind of God, Jesus loves us. He is love. The Bible says God is love, and since he's God, he is love. He loves us. It's in his nature. It's in his very character. Jesus is just. He's righteous. Jesus is the judge. 
Do you understand that the great white throne judgment, people are going to stand in front of Jesus Christ. He's the judge. He's righteous. He's holy. He's Lord of all. We can do this all morning because he's God. Because Jesus is God, the word was God, that's who he is, he's God. So that babe in the manger that we sing about, that one that we proclaim about, he's all that and more. He's God. Not only is Jesus God, but he's the creator. And John tells us that here. Secondly, look at verse 3. All things were made through him or by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, you know what kind of statement that is? That's a statement for slow people like you and me. That's a statement that reiterates and restates in two ways. You know, teachers will tell you this. When you're teaching, you say something, and then you say it again a different way. Then you say it again a third way. Why? Because everybody learns differently. You know what John did right here? Watch this. All things were made through him. Now, that should be enough, right? In other words, that's pretty clear. Everything, and all things means everything without exception, was made by Jesus. But then to make sure we get it, he goes, and, let's say it another way, without him was not anything made that was made. Anybody not understand that? Raise your hand and we'll go over it again. Okay, listen, Jesus is God. That babe in the manger, listen to what this means. That babe laying in the manger made everything when it all began and then took on the form of that baby. He made everything. The philosophers say, why is there something rather than nothing? The Christian would say, because there's Jesus. The philosophers would say, listen, matter is eternal and, 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 and nature is evolving. No, the Christian would say, no, the world is like it is and here and the universe is like it is because there's Jesus, because he's God and he's the creator. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Listen to this. For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things without and with him and in him all things consist. Let me show you some things real quick about Jesus being the creator. Number one, he is the divine source of everything. He's the divine source of material things. He's the divine source of all spiritual things. He's the divine source of life itself. He's the divine source of, of physical life, these bodies being animated, the dogs, the cats, the animals running around. He started that. He gave it because why? He's the source. There's things in the world because of him. He created it all. He spoke it into existence. Secondly, all of these things, Paul said, are for him. God created for his glory. You say, man, why did God make man? Well, in the beginning, if you read it, God said, let us make man in our image. God created human beings to have fellowship with us, a creature that would choose to worship him for who he is. You see, God could make robots, but he didn't make robots. He made human beings with a, with a limited autonomy, with a limited free will, with a responsibility to acknowledge who he is and to worship him. 
Jesus created us that way. He created all things. He brought it into existence. Listen, it says he, he was before all things. Doesn't mean in, in rank, meaning Jesus was created and then everything else was created. No, he's before all things because he's the one who began it. He's first above all things because he created. And then I really like this one, by him all things consist. This is my favorite one. When I was a young fellow in the Navy, when I first started, I wasn't always an officer. I started enlisted, and I was an aviation electronics technician. You know what we did? You know what I did? I worked on airplanes, avionics, communications, navigation, ECM, all that electronic stuff. Well, the Navy sent me to school for a year. And for you young people, you probably won't have ever heard of this. We, you know, transistors were just coming out, and some of our equipment had tubes in it tubes that, you know, light up and get hot and wear out. You have to change them often. Kind of like your old TVs. We had a TV one time that had tubes in it. Y'all ever have one of them? That was great, wasn't it? Looked like a refrigerator. Man, the thing was giant. Listen, the Navy sent me to school for a year, and they taught me all kinds of stuff about electronics. And part of, of going to school was uh, I had to take chemistry. Do I ever have to take chemistry? You, you know what the element chart is? Atomic weights. I'm going to help you right here. Crash course. You ready? When the Bible says that by Jesus everything consists, I want you to think about this. Last time I checked, there are 118 elements on the element chart. Everything in the world that has existence. Now, listen to me very carefully. Everything in this world that has existence is made up of atoms smallest particle of stuff, okay? Atoms are made up of three things. And the Navy taught me all this, so you can think of them. In the middle of an atom are protons and neutrons. And circling around the center of the atom are electrons. Now, this isn't real complicated. It's our, you know, us poor sailors would have never got it. P for proton is positive. Ooh, that's hard. N for neutron is neutral, meaning it doesn't have a charge. And the electrons, that's the one that's complicated. It's a negative charge. E don't mean negative. I don't know. It's called electron, right? So you got electrons, you got protons, you got neutrons. In the center of an atom, the number of protons in there is basically with some of their neutrons, how they figure out what's called atomic weight. And on the element chart, you have 1 through basically 118. And the numbers correspond to how many protons are in the middle in the nucleus of that atom, which changes what it is. For example, I think oxygen has eight protons, if I remember right. If you take away one of those protons, it becomes nitrogen. One proton different, you go from nitrogen to oxygen, and if you have nine protons, it's something else. I don't remember what it is. But here's the point. Watch this. God, Jesus Christ in creation, used 118 permeations of atoms with different numbers of protons in the middle to make everything. It's pretty smart, isn't he? Pretty smart. Now, it says here, <clears throat> that by Jesus all things consist. 
That word means functions. It means holes together. It means them, them little atoms with them little electrons running around them are doing their thing at full force because Jesus made them to do it and they're doing it. And Jesus said, be an oxygen atom. And it said, yes, sir, and it's an oxygen atom. And the laws of nature, the, the gravity and the planet spinning at the right speed and us at the right distance from the sun, Jesus, Jesus created and put that stuff there and put the planet there and put the solar systems there and put the universe there and, and, and said, stay. And all, and all that stuff obeyed him. It stayed where it's supposed to stay and we stay where we're supposed to and the moon stays where it's supposed to stay and everything, the tides go in and out, the sun, you know, earth spins around. All this stuff's happening all the time. And we have the privilege of living here because by, all, by Jesus, all things consist. Now, in the nucleus of an atom, like charges usually repel one another. If you take two magnets and you take the positive ends of the magnets and you try to push them together, what are they going to do? They're going to push one another away because they're like charges, right? And you have to put a lot of force on there. When I was a kid, I'd make them go together anyway. Did you do that? I'd send two positive ends together, things going together. Now, if you turn it around and do the negative to the positive, they grab one another, right? They attract one another. Well, think about this. In the nucleus of an atom is a whole bunch of protons. Not one, but like oxygen has eight. And some on the element chart have a bunch, 20s, 30 of them. They're all like charge. The neutrons don't care because they're neutral. They could care less who's next to them. But what is it? Why do all those positive charged protons in the middle of an atom stay together? Why do they, of all, listen, of all the way positive charges in the universe don't like one another, except in the center of an atom, why do they all like one another? And why do they all stay bound together? That's called a nuclear, nuclear force, by the way. And I think they said that because they couldn't come up with any other name. There's a nuclear force that holds the center of an atom together. Yeah, well, what is that? Well, we don't know, but we're just going to call it a nuclear force. By the way, I'll throw this out while we're running down this rabbit trail. What happens when you split atoms? You get, you get lots of power released, don't you? Hmm. That ought to be a clue, too. You know, there's this powerful force holding these atoms together, and when we split them, bad things happen. And maybe we ought to leave them alone, right? Stop, stop doing that. Listen, here's the point. By Jesus, the creator, all things consist. You know, why this, you know why all them protons in the middle of an atom like one another? Because Jesus told them to. You know what? You just stay right there. You just stay right there. And Jesus, there's a force holding the center of all them atoms together. And Jesus is the or originator of that. Jesus is the one who makes it happen. Now, this is just a thought. This ain't in the Bible, but I'll just throw it out there for free. You know, the Bible says at the end that this world and this universe is going to be disintegrated by fire because it's been sinful and that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new heaven's going to come down and we're going to get all brand new stuff to live eternity in. Well, how do you think Jesus is going to burn up what's here? I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know one way it could happen. He just turned loose of all them atoms. Just stop holding them together. Just stop, just stop holding all that. And if Jesus did that, if the center of all the atoms in the universe decided to not stay together anymore, it wouldn't last long. Everything here would be gone. It would all disintegrate. It would be, be, be a large explosion, I would suspect. Hmm. Maybe that's what God's going to do. I don't know. But listen, 
that baby in the manger, here's the point. That baby who, who was in a manger and his mama had to take care of him and had to raise him and put clothes on him and wrap him up in swaddling clothes and protect him and haul him off to Egypt to keep Herod from killing him. He's the creator of the universe. And while he's a babe in the manger, he's holding it all together. That's amazing, isn't it? That's the babe in the manger. Finally, let me close with this. Not only is Jesus God, not only is he the creator and the sustainer of all things, but he's the true light of the world. He's the savior of the world. Look at what John says in verses 4 to 9. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, 